As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Gosh, and happy holidays happy and holidays. happy new year. And I can't believe 2021 is coming to an end. It's over. Actually, this is, I mean, we'll we'll do it at the beginning of next year. But my mom texted me the other day and she said that she was listening back to an episode that we did in December of 2019. And you were reading our horoscopes for the Ooh. next year. And mine said that there was going to be a big change in relationships. And I made a joke like, oh, maybe I'll finally have one. Wow. And then and? it came true. My mom was like, of course, the horoscope was super broad. But, but it still came true. What was mine? I wonder true. if mine came true. You're going we'll to, to lose your job and not have a job for <laughs> eight months. No. I guess that was 2021 more than anything. Yeah. I know. Well, I should ask her if she remembers what you had said in yours, but we should just We could also back go back anyway. Yeah. And listen. Yeah. <laughs> but she was saying that we were also talking about like resolutions. And I had said that year that my resolution was to do more and be more like active in my city. Because <laughs> at the time I hadn't been doing anything in Boston. I'd been going away every weekend. And then like 12 weeks, not even later, we're locked down in a pandemic and I moved to Vermont. <laughs> It's like, oh, that, wow. That didn't work out. Yeah. Well, this is another year coming to a close. And maybe that means optimistic, positive things for the next year. True. We got to think about resolutions, what we want to have next year look like. Yeah, manifest a little bit. Absolutely. A also, of one of my coworkers told me about this paper. It's like disappearing paper that I think <gasps> people do in, in science classes and stuff. But I want to buy some because if you put it into water, it will kind of like dissolve and disintegrate. They make bathing suits like that too. What? What's the point? Uh, to prank people. I, <laughs> how do you, what do you do after? You like gift it to someone. Uh, basically, I watched this on the Challenge All-Stars and um, this girl had brought a bunch of prank things and she gave a guy a pair of bathing suit pants and he went in the water and as he came out, it basically dissolved. Oh my god, that's so that's so cruel. But it's also hilarious. I guess it really depends on who you're doing it to yeah. because like if someone did that to me, I'd be like, I'm suing you because I think you the lining just assaulted me with my own nudity. I yes, coming from someone who loves nudity, Corinne. 
when I choose it <laughs> for myself. True. But I do think like – I don't know if they make them for women too, but the guys' shorts, like they have a lining inside of it. So the lining doesn't dissolve. It's just oh, the like okay. short So part. they're not like truly left. Truly nude. Dangling out. But there's not the less – there's not much left for imagination. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses for the last time in 2021. That's Corinne. Hi. And I'm Sabrina, and I'm excited to see everyone in the future. In the future. The future. (laughs) Um, What are your holiday traditions? This is a holiday episode for everyone who is listening. Um, But I, yeah, what, what are you, what are you doing this year? I'm making a new tradition because I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, every year my family, we kind of do the same things that I've mentioned before on the on the podcast where, you know, Santa comes and he brings us on Christmas Eve our pajamas mm-hmm. and we watch like the old Christmas movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like all, all of those like those. old claymation ones. Yeah. And I was just thinking about it. Yes, I love those movies, but there are also so many great new movies that I want to be the staple Oh. And Klaus. The movie Klaus, I think, is one of the best <laughs> fucking movies. I feel like you talk ever. about Klaus a lot. Klaus is going to be my tradition. Is that now. the, my kids is that the will... Anna Kendrick one? No, no, no. This is an animated one. Oh, okay. I don't know it. No, I don't know what I haven't seen the one with Anna Kendrick. Oh, I thought in you it. had told me about the Anna Kendrick one. I have not um, seen it. I either. haven't seen it, but I did tell you wait, I did just watch no, I didn't. Yes, I no. <laughs> Sorry. We'll wait. Give give Corinne a second. I didn't watch that one, but I just watched another one because it had been filmed in Boston, and I can't for the life of me remember the name of it. Hmm. But the girl from Workaholics is in it, and then, um, oh my god, Uh, (laughs) what's her name? Isla Fisher. Oh, I love her. also in it. Okay. Yeah, so we... Remember if Brian and I watched it because we wanted to spot all of the Boston things. That is yeah. fun. Yeah. And there was one scene where we could see our apartment in the background. We're like, oh my God, that's, that's us. us. Yeah. That was <laughs> exciting. So that's going to be my new tradition. Okay. I did my tree today. We decorated it. It looked very and I cute. Did, yes. And I saw someone online had put like cut up baby's breath and like shoved it in their tree to make oh. it look fuller. And I didn't do that, but I realized all of my ornaments are kind of like on the natural like stone color. Like they're all pretty plain. There's not much color to them. Mm-hmm. So I bought the little red like berry bulbs and dried them out and sh- shoved them oh, in the tree. Oh, that's cute. And I like that. That so I think cute. my new tradition that I'm making is to add some sort of natural element to or your like tree. food to my tree. Well, I like that. Well, that's fun. Yeah. I got my tree do? from – this was like really cool. It's called Delaney Street – or sorry. It's called Delancey Street and it's this like nonprofit foundation that helps people who have like recently gotten out of prison reacclimate into life. Mm-hmm. And so I was like – because, like, you know, Nick and I were like, let's save a few bucks and go to Home Depot because they're much cheaper. But then we found this, and it's, like, two blocks away from our place. But, I mean – You should not say that, Sabrina. I mean, it's Santa Monica. You're going to find me two blocks from okay. a place that's going to be – it's actually not two blocks. It's more than that, so I'm not going to specify. I don't care. I <laughs> People won't find me. Anyway. Okay. And if they do – You're the one who had a stalker in the past. That's true. But if they do, whatever. Just don't kill me. I'll give you my autograph. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> oh, whoa, am 
that got me. You almost killed me right there. I just suffocated And the scary myself. thing is I can't help you because you're across the country. I would just have to watch you die. <laughs> oh, my God. Give me my autograph. Okay. Oh, so okay. Anyway, Delancey Street. It's a really cool foundation that I was excited about. And I was like, if I'm going to buy a Christmas tree and spend a little bit more money on it, it's good to know it's going to a good cause. Yeah, that's true. That's nice. Do they do they pick up or are there any like tree pickup services? I wonder. That oh, I don't know. I feel like feel like Boy Scouts and stuff. Yeah, do that. with a call, we can find them. someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both in positions now where like home for the holidays sometimes also means a significant other. So we're creating new traditions. I know. So what are you and Nick going to do? It's so interesting because last year was the very first Christmas we ever spent together, and we've been together nine years. Mm-hmm. And it was magical. That's crazy. I know. It was the most amazing Christmas. I mean, obviously, it was heartbreaking and sad that we couldn't be with family. But it was just so relaxing and just, like, quiet. And we just watched Christmas movies and drank wine. And we combined some of the traditions we both did with our families and then made new ones, mm-hmm. which was really nice. Like, we went and walked to the beach and watched the sunset. I mean – Oh, I love that. It was just really, really nice. But this year, we're flying to Pennsylvania to be with my mom, my brother, and my sister for Christmas. And then on the 26th, we're flying to Minnesota and going to do stuff with his family there. So it's going to be a very new type of Christmas, new type of holiday, mm-hmm. which I don't – I'm excited for, obviously. Also, my mom has a serious boyfriend now, and so we're going to meet his family and do a bunch of stuff with them. So – it's going to be – I don't really know what it's going to be. I'm, I'm excited to see what it is. Yeah. But it's going to be different. Yeah, because this is how it will be. And then when you eventually have kids, yeah. it's going to be a whole change again. And I can't imagine – kudos to all of you out there who have children and travel anywhere, even if it's in a car, anywhere with your children. That was my family. Yeah. Every single year, we would wake up at the crack of dawn, open our presents, have like a couple hours to play with them, and then we had to pack it up and drive to my grandparents' house three and a half, four hours away. Yeah. Like just flying with Nick and I, I'm stressed out because it's just so much travel. So I can't imagine. Yeah. With children. Yeah. And it's expensive. My goodness. Especially for people who have holidays like on vacation. Like sometimes people yeah. bring their kids and they have like a hotel holiday. Must That's be miserable. How terrible and awful <laughs> for all of all of you out there who do that. <laughs> my family tried one year. We did it one year, like when, when my brother and I were older and somewhat young adults. And we were like, you know what? We got to go away. And we went, where did we go? Oh, we went to Grand Cayman. We went to the Cayman oh, Islands. Wow. And it was Fancy. One of the best Christmas <laughs> That is a fancy-ass Christmas. It was a no-snow Christmas. Oh, that's what I want. I just want snow. I have not been home when it snowed in a long, long, long time. It's honestly – that's that's the feeling that's so, – I mean, snow, I feel like it's a love-hate relationship. If people don't do winter sports, it's – you eventually kind of hate snow because it's cold and yeah. it will get, like, gross and mucky as cars drive through it and stuff. But the nights where you're so cozy and warm inside and you have, like, hot cocoa and you're just watching, like, a fun nostalgic movie or something. And then everybody has their holiday lights up and then you see, like, the snowfall and it twinkle and glisten. That's what I love. Because it's – yes. It literally looks like glitter on the ground at night. So beautiful. You're right, though. It does – like, for me, because I don't live anywhere where it snows anymore – 
the gift of snow is like truly it's magical to me because I don't have it all the time. Mm -hmm. But if you live with it, I mean, of course, it's like, oh, I don't want. Yes, I'm down to have a really snowy two months and then be done. Like I wish, I wish there were locations where you could ch- choose exactly what your holo- your uh, <laughs> seasons would be. Like I would do two, I would do December, January, hardcore snowy snow. winter. Yeah, you can live in a and snow then globe, I would do, and then you can control it. I, that would be nice. <laughs> One month of spring, and then the rest of the months are divided up between summer and fall. Unfortunately, we don't have that magic. Okay. So you've now heard Corinne and I's very sweet, beautiful plans for the holidays. <laughs> but now we're going to tell you the darker side. The darkness has fallen on Christmas. When you misbehave, when you're naughty, and you don't... It's more than just coal. Yeah. It's year-long fear that you will have after hearing it's these stories. dark holidays. You know, I get so upset because in my head, I'm like, oh, this is going to sound so cool. And I'm imagining like a cool sound effect of dark holidays. And I said it out loud and I was like, ew, like that's just not, (laughs) that's not at all what I imagine. It's kind of like when you hear a song in your head and then you sing it out loud and you're like, oh my God, where, where is the disconnect? Because that did not sound anything like Or when you sing it with music in the background (laughs) and you're like, oh wow, I really hit those notes. I did that run perfectly. And then you actually sing it and you're like, oh, I got about three of the 18 there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So embarrassing. I highly advise against recording yourself singing because- Never as good as you think. And also sometimes just recording yourself in general. Yeah. I think this is year four, and I've finally gotten used to the sound of my voice. I still haven't. You haven't? No. Leia's into the topic. She's into dark holidays, dark traditions. She might be a little chatty today, but uh, – That's okay. It will be She's some just relief. hello to everybody else's animals out there. Yeah. She's hello to the hello. pets. Hello to the pets. Trust your pets. Okay. So nothing quite screams Christmas like a child-eating scarecrow, right? Oh, my God. I thought so, too. And so this holiday, as you close your eyes and fall asleep, anxiously awaiting the gifts beneath the tree and the eggnog you'll drink with your friends and family, I wish you sweet dreams of this horrifying boogeyman. As we've discussed in the past, it was customary to tell enchanting and spooky tales of ghosts and creatures from the past during Christmas – but somewhere, I don't know where, this tradition kind of fell away, except for you and I, Corinne, we continue it all the time. So we have decided to make it a thing. And in addition to listening to the stories we are about to share, we ask that you question your friends and family in the next few weeks, but also just like all the time in general, about their encounters with the other side. And you may be surprised by how many have been keeping stories from you. But until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the tale of Hans Trapp. The Child-Eating Scarecrow of Christmas. Hans von Trotha, also known as Hans Trapp, was a German knight born into an aristocratic family sometime in the mid-15th century and bore the French honorary title of Chevalier de, which means Golden Knight. Hans was famous for getting into a feud with the Benedictine monks, and when they refused to give him the belongings from a castle that he'd inherited – Hans decided to build a dam in the local river and deprive the people of its water supply. During this turmoil, the people in the town start to theorize that Hans is working with the devil and he was kind of known around town as someone who 
partied a lot. He stole a lot of money and he was kind of an evil guy. So I think it wasn't a far stretch for people to believe that he was dealing in dark magic and also the ability to build a dam by yourself and steal the water supply from an entire town does seem in this time like a magical, dark magical thing. And just evil. And evil, totally. Yeah. So people are like, Hans is working with the devil and he's trying to destroy Christianity. He's trying to destroy our town. He's trying to destroy everything we believe in all because of a silly little feud. And the dam eventually created a flood and then he like released the dam all of a sudden, then flooding this town that had previously been deprived of water. So it completely ruined their economy. It was tragic for for the people of this town. And his revenge was, again, seen as an act of the devil. So the church sought punishment from the pope, who was Pope Innocent VII at the time. And his punishment was decided to be that Hans was going to be excommunicated and exiled from this region. So basically... Hans is exiled and he falls off the face of the map and people, I guess, like basically sent him to go live in the woods. They were like, you can't live here. We don't care where you go, but stay Mm. away from us. And as the story goes, he went and lived in the woods that were like outskirting the town because he still had this vengeance and he still wanted to seek revenge on these people who had now not only taken away his things from a castle that he had inherited, but they also exiled him. So he's just angry and mad. And during this time, as he's living in the woods, he builds, like, this, like, massive house out of sticks, and people hear all these rumors and legends and stories about him, and then people start to suspect the worst. And thus was born the legend of Hans Trap. People believed Hans achieved his wealth and his status before he was exiled, not through hard work, but through his devotion to Satan. Hans was believed to perform dark magic and to praise demonic spirits. And so after his feud and eventual excommunication by the Pope, Hans was said to further commit himself into the dark arts and sell his soul to the devil. So there he is. Hans is lurking on the outskirts of town, hiding deep in the woods of Bavaria, and Hans was bent on revenge. And over time, this is the where it's like so wild because over time he starts to thirst for the taste of human flesh. Which people think is because he sold himself to the devil and because he was devil-like, he wanted to eat humans and became cannibalistic. Other people believe that he also maybe started to spiral into madness a little bit and that is why Mm. he wanted to thirst and eat, um, feast on human flesh. Yeah, or maybe he was foraging some some berries, some vegetables, some things from the forest that uh, weren't quite safe for eating. Or perhaps he couldn't find a food source and one day he, you know, cut off a finger and roasted it over the fire and tasted it and was like, this is delicious. His own finger? I mean, you don't know. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Survival, you know. Ugh, I'd rather wither. Would you really? Okay, if you had to survive, what part of your body would you would you eat? I wouldn't. Okay, but if you had to pick. If I absolutely had yeah. to. Yeah. This is so gross. I feel like I'm going to vomit. Like my <laughs> stomach is lurching inside of me. Um. Well, probably – I'm probably uh, trying to think. It's – maybe – I'm trying to think of like what muscles – my initial thought was like, okay, maybe a piece of my forearm, maybe a piece of my like glute or my thigh because that's – the most like muscles so yeah it's food but then i'm also like but i need my arms and my hands to survive i need my legs to right. survive i Survival need my butt wise. to be able to like 
walk and run and lay and sit. Well, that's not a bad idea. Just a little piece. How, yeah, but have you ever like hit your tailbone really bad? Yeah, I've broken my I've like broken my tailbone before. It, that puts you out. Like that's yeah, but you don't you like cut off move. your whole butt cheek. Just like a little fleshy, meaty piece. Oh God, this is so gross. <laughs> We're turning I, into I would, Hans. I would trap. die. No, I, would I agree. Literally I mean, die. I wouldn't do it. Coming from a vegetarian, I wouldn't do it either. I would die, and then you could eat me. No, I could never do that. To survive, you could never. Hans will I'm come bigger and than eat you. You. I, you would wither first. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll eat me first. No, I mean, if we're living out in the woods, Hans would eat both of us. So we're good. Okay, so here Hans is. He's, you know, really craving human. And as you do when you're in the woods. And he's like, but I'm exiled in the woods. How do I get human flesh? So Hans sits there and he thinks and he formulates an evil plan. Hans decided he would dress as a scarecrow. So he would stuff his raggedy clothing with straw and sticks and go stand amidst a field. Just stand there like a scarecrow and wait for unexpected prey, specifically children. So Hans, I mean, just imagine like you're out in a field and you see like the scarecrow out there and all of a sudden like its eyes blink. It kind of reminds me of Jeepers Creepers. I think there's like a very similar um, scene in there. So that's what Hans did. And he waited for hours. Hours go by. There's no child. Days go by. There's no child. Weeks go by. There are no children. There are no humans. There's no flesh for him to be had. Until one day, a young shepherd boy comes strolling through the field. Hans licks his lips. His eyes fill with hunger. And as the kid approaches closer and closer, he fiddles with a stick in his hand, and as the kid approaches and gets close enough, he thrusts towards the child with the sharpened stick, impales the child, and kills him. Oh my god. Hans then drags the body back into the deep woods and roasts his corpse over a fire. He watched the corpse brown and char and cook in the fire, dreaming of devouring it with a little bit of seasoning from the forest, leaving nothing but bones behind. But it is said that as Hans went to take his very first bite of said child, he was struck by lightning. The electric bolt was said to split his head right down the middle, and Hans fell to the ground, the roasted child falling out of his grasp, and Hans had died before he could ever taste human flesh. Many believe that this strike of lightning was actually an act of God, and that on that day, God defeated Satan. But the Mm. story... Does not end here because Hans had unfinished business. And in terms of the paranormal, you know what that means. His spirit was not going anywhere. Hans had plans to haunt the earthly realm and get his vengeance. And this is where, at this point in time, Hans's spirit teams up with Santa Claus. What? And becomes the anti-Santa. This is very Nightmare Before Christmas, but... I would love to know what their conversation was. Like, how did Hans, like, buddy up with Santa? I mean, I guess Yeah, how like, was this a, the teamwork? Like a duo. Was, yeah. St. Nick, I'm disappointed in you. I imagine, like, their, like, photo with their, like, back-to-back and their arms crossed, like, looking at the camera. Yeah, little – some, like, b-boy moves. Oh, yeah. They have their album cover. Yeah, Hans just has, like, a bone of a child in his hand. Oh, sick. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, he becomes Santa's, like, dynamic duo partner. He's the Robin to Batman. I guess not really because he's, like – he's kind of like the Joker to Batman. 
so he didn't he didn't turn good. He's not like no. helping Santa be kind to children and deliver gifts. No, I guess it would be he's helping Santa in that you know how Santa's like you better be nice. And he's he, in charge he of the naughty list. list. Yes, Hans is in charge of the naughty list. Got it. Kind of like Krampus is. Mm-hmm. So if children were poorly behaved, Santa would allow Hans Trap, the terrible child-eating scarecrow of Christmas, to do with those children as he wished. And the terrifying boogeyman of Christmas is said to visit the misbehaved children in the Alsace and Lorraine regions of France. And some say Hans appears in this terrifying scarecrow disguise that he was known to pose in when he was looking for children in the fields, and he will appear to children in the middle of the night. But this is interesting because there are two different versions of the legend. One goes that instead of eating the children, he will sit there and calmly try to persuade the child to behave more virtuously than he had when he was alive. Because in this version of the legend, Hans regrets what happened to him and how he was so greedy and being a murderer. Yeah. And so he speaks to children as like, you don't want to be me. Be better so that you don't befall the same fate that I did. Which is a nice version. I'd prefer that. But then the But also a little bit confusing because you're like, okay, well, if you're best friends with Santa, how bad is that? Yeah, I guess. But it's more like you don't want to turn into like what I was in life. Mm, yeah. You don't want to turn into a cannibal and- living yeah. in the woods kind of thing. Right. Where everybody hates you. Yeah, exactly. So that version of Hans is not terrible. But then there's the other version, and this version of Hans Trap will appear again looking horrifying in his scarecrow attire, accompanied with a horrifying look in his eyes and a glimmer of drool dripping down his lower lip, as all he wants is to eat and taste your tender flesh. So I don't know about you, but if I lived in these areas of France, I'd prefer just to be good than be bad and hope I got this, like, be better, be more virtuous version of Hans Trap because the alternative and the prospect of being eaten alive on Christmas Eve would be a really, really massive, terrible bummer. So that's kind of my opinion. Yes, I agree. In So that's the that's the legend of Hans Trap. And in the true story of Hans von Trappe, who is like the real man who the legend of Hans Trap was born out of, when he was exiled, he didn't actually go live in the woods. He was sent to serve the French royal court because of his apparent brilliant political mind. And that's when he was given the title of Chevalier d'Or. But it's way more fun to believe in a Satan-worshipping cannibalistic scarecrow monster who lived in the woods and spiraled into madness than desired the taste of human flesh. And even after death has found a way of terrifying children on what should be the most magical day of the year. Personally, my opinion again. <laughs> I mean, I like it. I'm into it. Because I like the dark stuff. Because you are you are Krampus's Robin. Oh my god. You're the I Robin would love to Krampus. To be. Krampus, come for me. <laughs> Take it's your dream. Is Krampus I'm, my I'm new Bigfoot? Big, my and big you foot? love Krampus. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what we both do? We <laughs> both just say the same yeah. thing. <laughs> oh that's good i mean yeah it's interesting because i think where this legend was born is like when hans was exiled this town obviously was in such disrepair from all the actions that hans had done or taken against them and they probably didn't have any method of actually knowing where he was excommunicated to so they probably built Mm -hmm. this legend of hans living in the woods 
And I imagine like, you know, kids saw something in the woods and they go home. They're like, there was a man in the woods and it spread to be Hans Trapp is living in yeah, the woods be Hans. and he's going to come for you. Like, you better behave. Well, because he is the monster in the woods. Like, he, if you is. Think about it, he is the monster to everybody in that community. Yeah. And they exiled him to the woods. So there is a real life monster to them mm-hmm. in the woods, which is Hans. Yeah. What did? Why was he taking the water again? Do we know? So there's more to the story about Hans von Trotha, who's the real guy. But basically, when he was born into like a wealthy family, and so I think he was given some properties and castles and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. then there was like a debate over who owned it, if it was the church or him. And he believed he owned it. So he wanted to collect the items from the home, but the church wouldn't allow him. I'm sure there was a lot more to that, you know, dispute. But ultimately, he took revenge by eating children. (laughs) So sick. (laughs) I mean, he yeah. I mean, he didn't actually. But it's so interesting also because like a lot of legends, like Krampus, for example, I feel like was not born based on another, like a real human. Whereas Hans Trapp Mm -hmm. is based on a real human who actually lived and was like spiraled out of control a little bit. So it does make me wonder, how do those specific legends stick and how does one create a spooky legend about themselves? Become a legend. Yeah. yeah. One thing that that's kind of depressing, but but you talking about how he's a real person and that the, the legends and stuff could have, have no real truth to them in terms mm-hmm. of how he behaved and could have been fabricated by the town just to, to keep kids out of the woods and to just have a fun tale of the real-life monster who did terrorize them at one point. It makes me wonder if the example of the child who had been, like, killed and impaled by the scarecrow, if if that part was factual, like, if there was a child that mm. had some horrible accident or maybe was, like, attacked by a wolf or, like, something terrible that did happen to that kid that ended it, that child's life. Interesting. That led – Two. So it was like the combination of the two mm-hmm. led to that story. Like, was that the the crux of, of this whole thing? Mm. It was Hans is in the woods and then this terrible thing happens. And so so was born the story of this scarecrow Hans who's going to eat you, team up with Santa, and yeah. potentially kill you or give you a stern talking. Interesting. I'm curious if anyone is from France or from these regions specifically, which is a very small I mean, I doubt we have even have a percentage of French listeners, but yeah, but think about like Canada has seen, so many French Canadians. I know, like but my, that's different than like Alsace and this other place, right? But still, there's like family traditions come yeah, over. Like, like the, yeah. so many traditions in America are originally from the UK. So, so if you celebrate Hans Trap or fear Hans Trap, let us know because I would love to hear how you were told the story growing up. And also, if anyone out there wants to create a legend about Corinne and I, let's <laughs> let's get that started. Let's get it started now. And then when we perish, yeah. you guys have to ignite the flames of this tale yeah. and let it run. Basically, you'll have to pass on this episode to your children and tell them the story and make sure that they continue the tale beyond our living presence. I want to be some sort of like spooky aunt, like together, like you. You would like that. Spooky the aunties. aunties are coming. The aunties. The aunties will pay you a visit in the middle of the night. <gasps> the aunties if you are don't behave. Gonna punish you. Yes, I like it. I'm into it. Okay. We'll see what people come up with if anyone has any ideas. <laughs> 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right. What do you have to spook us? Okay. Yes. So I decided to go more of like the folklore route, the legends behind holiday traditions, because in doing my initial research and just kind of trying to find some stories, I found this article, a 2018 article from, it was posted on insider.com written by Sophia Mitrakostas about the strange origins of holiday traditions. And it just really inspired me. That's fun. So I wrote this kind of like a little story where everyone gets to be this character and hopefully it will help us get in the mood and learn about the dark origins of many of the things that we do every year. I love it. It is a crisp winter morning. The sun glistening on the snow, dusting your windowsills. You slip out of bed, socked feet hitting the floor, and you think to yourself, today is the perfect day to decorate for Christmas. You slink down the hall to your storage area and you grab that bin labeled Christmas decor (laughs) and you make your way toward the living room. As you pass through the doorway, you recall leaving the mistletoe on top of the bin. So you gently remove the lid and you grab your greenery and you stretch your body as far as it can go until the mistletoe connects with the small hook on the doorframe left over from last year. You smile to yourself. Thinking of your friends and your family who will find themselves under this door frame, perhaps you may get a few holiday smooches this year. (laughs) As you begin to drag the bin through the passageway, you remember, this plant wasn't always meant to be kissed under. England had once banned the mistletoe plant, rejecting it because the druids viewed it as a sign of friendship. And their religious beliefs would not allow them to accept this. And so the forbidden mistletoe spent years locked away. They couldn't accept friendship? I guess, yeah, just the symbolism. They weren't into it. And they were like, no, thanks. Would we not be allowed to exist then? Like, we couldn't be friends? Apparently. I guess no no cheer for this holiday plan. No friends for (laughs) anyone. Wow. Yes. And so it was forbidden. And people just couldn't use the mistletoe, I guess, in a symbolic way, Mm. as they had previously done. And only later did it resurface, but not yet for friendship or for kissing. Rather, criminals would bring a sprig of mistletoe to a special mistletoe service held by York Minster Church in hopes of being pardoned for their crimes. 
So it's oh, literally an offering. That's I. That's kind of sweet. Sort of. But what if someone does an atrocious crime and they're like, cool, we'll accept your mistletoe. Yeah. You're forgiven. I guess. I guess it's like if – I mean, I'm imagining people who have like already served their time or it's like small time crimes that they're not going to go to like prison or be beheaded for. Yeah. You know? Hopefully no one's like, I impaled a child and tried to eat the, the child. Have Here's you mistletoe. heard of the podcast The Apology Line? Yes. Yes. That reminds me of that. Like <laughs> where it's like someone it. who shows up and is like, I've killed 12 people. Yes. The Apology Line is worth listening to. It's about yeah. this guy who opened up this – voicemail he lived in new york city he opened up this um just like, like a phone number yeah for for people to call into and leave messages anonymously and apologize fast to to secrets yeah apologize for whatever they wanted to and one person in particular had confessed to something that sounded a lot like a crime or a very bad crime soon to be attempted crime yeah. as well and so uh, it went from being anonymous to potentially trying to track down this It's really – it's a very good listen. Yeah. Okay. So you think to yourself, hmm, does this plant really resolve you from your crimes? Interesting. By throwing that thought to the back of your mind, paying up the mistletoe, moving on, you prop the bins in the middle of your room and you turn on your speaker because you can't really decorate without <laughs> some holiday music. So you select a playlist and you hit shuffle. And the first song to come up is Bill Cosby's cover of Good King. I always have to – I have to practice this name. Wenceslas. Is it Bill Wenceslas. Cosby or do you mean Bing? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I really don't – I was like, I don't know not, where you're going with this. I, I combine them to <laughs> Bill Cosby, not even Crosby. <laughs> Like, hmm, this is taking a dark turn. Darker than it's usual. Dark, dark, darker than dark. <laughs> uh, no, there's no uh, trigger <laughs> warnings needed here. <laughs> well, I guess there are. Ooh. So the first song to come up is Bing Cosby's cover of Good King Wenceslas. And you listen to the lyrics as you remove the decor from the bin. It's a song you've heard many times, many versions of. This time, you're really focused in on those lyrics. And the story tells of a bohemian king who walks through the freezing cold to help a peasant, and with him is a servant who's hardly able to keep up as the icy wind invades his lungs, but he is able to make it only because he's following the king's footprints, stepping in each one in the deep snow. So the origins of this holiday carol have some accuracy to them, and they're pretty dark. So Wenceslas I of Bohemia was born in year 907, 907 AD. Mm -hmm. And he was raised by his mom, who was the daughter of a pagan tribal chief. And he was very generous. He often would leave his room in the middle of the night to go out and wander the streets, find people who were in need, widows, orphans, prisoners, just people who generally were down on their luck or, or really needed an extra hand and a generous person to come across them. And so – he would often help. And people really thought of this guy, this man, not not really as a prince as he was, but more of they referred to him as the father of all the wretched, which I think is pretty rude to the people he yeah. was helping. Sad. Sad. But no good deed goes unnoticed. And his brother became extremely jealous and hateful towards Wenceslas. And when his father died, or their father died, his jealous brother took that as an opportunity and ordered a hit on him. And he was stabbed repeatedly with a spear in front of a church. He prayed the entire time as the men brutally attacked and dismembered him. Oh, my God. Killing him. Whoa. Yes. This is very dark. Very dark. You shiver. Ugh, what a dark event. Why would people turn this into a holiday song? 
So grabbing a stocking, you head towards the fireplace to clip them onto the mantle. In a few weeks, these stockings will be filled with treats, some chocolates, some chapsticks, socks, maybe a lottery ticket or two. Hint, hint, parents, please give me a lottery ticket. <laughs> stockings are one of your favorite traditions, and it is the first thing you grab on Christmas morning. But for some, it was the only thing that was grabbed. Legend goes, stockings originated in the 14th century when a bishop overheard an elderly man talking about not having enough money to supply his daughters with a dowry. The bishop knew what this meant. Without a dowry, these women would never be able to get married. They would inevitably be forced into sex work in order to support themselves. And the bishop, he just couldn't stop thinking about this all day, about this man, about his daughters, and it really was haunting him. And he knew that he was in a position to help. And so he snuck into the family's home that night. And when sneaking in, he found in their common space by the fireplace, they had hung up their socks, their stockings to dry in front of the fire overnight. So he filled each of these stockings hanging with bags of gold. Oh my gosh. Yes. So the family, now they're chilling. They've got a ton of money. They live great lives. Everything is solved for them. And this bishop would later be anointed as Saint Nicholas, the patron saint of children. Oh. So the legend goes. Okay. So okay. it ends happier. It, this one ends happier, yes. And that's exactly what this character is thinking in my story. <laughs> Not the darkest holiday. Sharing and giving is a huge part of the holidays. And so this is this is a nice one, thinking about the way that stockings came to be. Yeah. But next, you grab your nutcracker, placing it on top of your stocking for some extra support. Because you're hoping for a very stuffed stocking this year, so the extra weight of the nutcracker will surely prevent the filled stocking from tumbling <laughs> over. You've always found nutcrackers a little bit creepy. Yep. But it's sentimental as well. When you were little, imaginary listeners, <laughs> you and your family used to head into town to the theater to see the Nutcracker when the ballet traveled to your area. It was a tradition that lasted years. Now that you and your siblings are grown, everyone lives further apart and this tradition has died. And so you think nostalgically Sad back grin. to the... I know. <laughs> This is like kind of about myself. I know. I was like, I was going to ask how much of this is about you. I used to go see the Nutcracker at the Flynn Theater. I used to be in the Nutcracker. <gasps> what? Who were you? I was a party boy. I always had to play a boy, sadly. <laughs> um, and I was also, you know, like they do like different countries. I, I was like a little, I had a sheep in one of them. And then, <laughs> and then I think I was a rat one year. <laughs> That you have to find photos. But I was mostly a boy. Party Please boy. Please find photos. When you go okay. home, try to find photos. I'm pretty sure I have some. Here, I'll, I'll find them for you. Okay. When we post this episode, we better post those <laughs> pictures too. <laughs> of me being a little boy. Yes. I'm into it. Well, you, just you being in the Nutcracker. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So you think nostalgically back to the first time you were ever at the ballet when you were just seven years old. Seven. So young. So pure. And the exact age of Marie who was the little girl in the original 1816 story, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. In this story, Marie cuts her arm after being startled by a vision of her toy coming to life, this toy being the Nutcracker. And her wound is pretty bad. Her arm is like sliced open. So it's taking her some time to recover from her injury. And as she recuperates, her godfather tells her the story about this man who was cursed with the ugliness of a Nutcracker by this heartless queen. And Marie, the little girl, the seven-year-old girl, she feels bad. She's listening yeah. to this story and she's like, oh my gosh, this poor man, this poor ugly nutcracker guy. 
I feel so bad for him. And of course, she's empathizing with him or like she's just she's seven years old. So she feels bad for this guy. And he's left alone. He's left feeling like he's too ugly to be loved. So she tells her godfather. She declares that she would love the Nutcracker no matter how ugly he is, which is, I think, a sweet and kind of ordinary thing for a seven-year-old to say after hearing this story. Very kind. Upon saying this, though, she is transported into the doll kingdom where she meets the Nutcracker. And a year later, because she never returns, a year later, they marry. Marie is eight years old. Casual. The Nutcracker is a grown man. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so it's. <laughs> I feel like a lot of stories like that. It was about like really young girls uh, well, marrying pretty much old all of Disney. Yeah. This is very like Beauty and the Beast with a yes, very. extra dash of child bride yeah. here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're at the bottom of your holiday decor bin, and you find a bonnet, your mother's, from when she used to be part of the community's caroling group. You smile warmly, touching the laced fabric. You used to see the carolers in town as they posted up on the side of various shopping streets and parks. They never did come to your door like in the movies and books. And suddenly, you're grateful they never did. In the 17th century, people dreaded the day a caroler would appear at their door. Because in England, the Puritans had come to power and they banned caroling. But people, they would still sing in private. They secretly kept the tradition alive. But mostly, carols were disguised as folk songs and sung kind of by those who are looking for some trouble, traveling in packs for protection. So these sort of like outlaw caroling jingle groups, (laughs) they would show up at your door unannounced, knock on your door, and God forbid you answer. When you do, they demand that you give them your best food and alcohol. And if you try to shut your door, this group will overpower you. They will threaten to beat you, to rape you, to destroy your home if you don't obey with all their demands. This is so scary. This is terrifying. This is like recent, like in recent times where people dress up as the gas company and knock on your door and then they're there to like rob you. Right. Or there's one, everyone should be aware of this one. People have been catching them on their ring cameras. There's, they're putting women at like 1 a.m. in a hoodie or casual clothes to look like they need help ringing Ugh. the doorbell. And then if you answer the doorbell, if you answer the door to this woman who seems to be needing help, a bunch of men will run in and <gasps> rob you or do a lot oh. worse. And it's been happening all over the place. So this is terrifying. Because at first, like, this group doesn't sound terrible. Like, you know, they're a group of people who, like, just want they're food. They're just singing. Singing. They want food. They want alcohol. But yeah. then they had to go ahead and make it terrible. So aggressive. And here's what they're singing. Here's here's one of the jingles that I, oh, no. I saw. It says, I don't know the tune of it, but it's like, we've come here to claim my right. And if you don't open up your door, we'll lay it flat upon the floor. So like, it's just, it's just. Oh, so they're not with, like Christmas carols. It's just scary things. Yes. So caroling in general didn't start with, with Christmas, Christmas songs specifically. Gotcha. Oh, that's very yeah. dark. Very dark. Yeah, and because of this, because of these, like, horrible carolers that were going around, there was a lot of backlash on celebrating Christmas and the practice of caroling and the season of giving and merriment was often now thought of as, like, a time for rioting and violence. But Which kind of reminds ready. me of, like, the Halloween stuff with with Mischief Night and, yes. you know, it, it's kind exactly. of these it's groups of people things. who just turn – take it and turn it evil and try to ruin it for everyone else. Um, yeah, Exactly. It's like, it's so easy for things to turn south, for things to go sour. So 
kind of scary. I'm glad that we have all of these traditions and that they didn't like die out. But it makes me wonder what things yeah. did die out because right. of people and actions and things like this. Um, but so so carols in general, obviously we still do caroling. So the age-old tradition did not die just because these people do were we being wretched. I, I Have you heard carolers ever in the last few years? <laughs> Yesterday in my apartment complex. Oh, okay. They're all over Boston during this season. That does seem like a Boston thing. Yeah, I guess you're right. They're, yeah, they're all over. I see them every single year. Wow. I have not I have not seen a single caroler in years. And it's also because when, where I live in or where I grew up in Jersey, like it was a neighborhood, but it was pretty small. So people wouldn't come to it. Yeah. It's usually at like tree lightings and different holiday events, shopping plazas. Yeah. But like the traditional caroling of like knocking on a door and standing outside of someone's home to sing, I feel oh, like yeah. isn't no. as common. I don't know if that happens, where it happens. I have no idea. Let us know. That's never, yeah, I've never come across that. Yeah. I think that's kind of, that's just too much. I don't want to be a audience of one staring at a group of How like seven awkward. people singing. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you just smile? Yeah. Like, ah. If it was like a hit clip version where I got like 15 seconds and then I'm like, yay, great. And then you move on. But if you, if I have to sit there for a whole song and be your only hype man, I don't think I'm mm -hmm. ready for that. Yeah. Me neither. I'm not in the right mindset in the wintertime. No, yeah. thanks. Yeah. Okay, so carols and so while they took a dark turn for a period of time, they were first sung thousands of years ago in Europe with pagan songs sung at winter solstice. So they were originally a pagan tradition, as are a lot of things. And people would dance around these stone circles and they would celebrate the solstice. And these carols were sung every single season. It wasn't just during the winter, but as time went on and the line between Christianity and paganism blurred in a lot of areas, only the winter solstice caroling tradition continued and became what we now know as Christmas caroling. Interesting. Okay. So now you think to yourself, this, what you thought was a lovely, gloriously perfect snowy day to decorate for holidays has taken a turn. Uh, a dark turn and all of these grim tales, these depressing origin stories are just less than ideal for holiday cheer. How did we even manage to get ourselves here? What finally brought us everyone back together? Well, the answer is kind of food, which I think is usually the answer. Yeah. So while we now have our stockings filled with treats for us, there was a time where stockings were also transitioned to be filled for treats for Santa. It was a welcoming gift, thanking him mm. for coming down the chimney, for entering the home and doing and all the things that he does, all the hard work. Yes. Yes. People were paying it forward. And in the 1930s, America, this was the time of Great Depression. And people just they couldn't they couldn't afford to simply stuff a stocking with purchased items. Everything counted, everything was needed. Mm, yeah. But parents didn't want their kids growing up so focused on keeping and preserving and fighting to survive. I mean, those were good skills to have, but they also they also wanted them to to be thankful and to give and not to just think about like take, 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 hide, keep panic. Right. So they decided a nice gesture would be to leave cookies and milk for Santa hmm. instead of this filled stocking. It was cheaper. It was more doable. And then it instilled in their children that despite economic hardship, it's still important to give to others Aww. and to show gratitude for what you have. That's sweet. Yes. And also it was thought that, you know, if you did this, maybe that good deed would bring you some luck. And luck will be on your side for Yule Logs are your saving grace this holiday season. <laughs> so many dark origins, but Yule Logs are the one holiday tradition that really has no depressing backstory. Oh. <laughs> this is this is what we're going to end on because I'm like, oh, yep, Yule Logs is it for us. 
these Christmas cakes used to be actually inedible to humans because they weren't cakes at all. They were actual logs yeah. and trees. Originally, this was a Nordic tradition during the winter solstice and made its way to many other areas and countries. An entire tree would be carefully picked and brought into the house for the great ceremony for winter solstice, which consisted of sticking the end of the log into the fire hearth, the rest of it just <laughs> hanging out into whatever room, like taking up space in the whole house. And you would slowly feed this tree to the fire over the 12 days of Christmas. I was going to ask how many fires were caused by this. How many oh homes God. burnt down because of this? Because uh, so many homes are fully made of wood. You did say this was not a dark dark story, but I'm, I'm turning You're it You're turning it into one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that because I wanted this to be a light one. Yeah. So I didn't look at any. Like Christmas tree burning, Yule log burning disasters. <laughs> but the tradition of the Yule log, it developed over time. It ventured out and, and took on new meanings and new practices depending on which cultures kind of adopted that practice. And during the Iron Age in Europe, logs would be decorated with pine cones and holly and ivy and other little pretty plants and burned for good luck. Like your, and the your ashes, trees decorated with pretty plants. Yes, exactly. But – once you burned this, you would keep the ashes from the burned log because they warded against evil things. Hmm. The evil things in life for people at the time, which in an article I read was they mentioned aging and lightning, which I thought was so funny. I mean, I'm like, is the that combo. what people were focused on? Yeah. Like, God forbid I age or get struck by lightning. I mean, if you're Hans These ashes Trapp, will help me. Hans Trapp died by being struck by lightning. That's so. true. Maybe it was a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> right, Everyone right, right and left was getting struck by lightning. Oh, my gosh. Well, now your holiday decorating is complete. Once the sauce has been skipped on your playlist, <laughs> your stocking is stuffed with gold, your nutcracker placed in a makeshift jail, your mistletoe awkwardly suggesting romance over friendship and forgiveness, <laughs> cookies and milk ready for Santa and a Yule log for good luck and for good eating. And so you are left to wonder, dear listener, what dark history lies behind the other holidays you celebrate? There's a lot of it. There's a lot. And there are so many more dark origins between behind everything we celebrate. Oh, I believe it. And even like holidays specifically like this. I picked out a few examples because I didn't want to talk for two hours straight. Right. It's also interesting because I feel like at the time, not all of the traditions were thought to be dark. You know, like some of them were just like a practice that they did. And then over time, it's like, oh, what you were doing was awful and terrible and you shouldn't have been doing that. What do we do now that's dark? I'm trying to think. I feel like coal has been phased out. I feel like that was more of a, a thing when we were like really young or or a couple generations before us, which is kind of traumatizing to, to children, I think. To give them coal? Yeah. I was never given coal. I was given the Harry Potter bag of coal, and it was bubblegum. Yeah, because yeah, that, that part's fun, where it's like you open it and it's like coal, but it's actually chocolate or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's candy of, of a sort. But I'm trying to think of something that could potentially in like 100, 200, 300 years, people go, oh my god, I can't believe they did that. Can't believe these two girls talked about ghost stories for four years. <laughs> well, I hope it's ten. It's <laughs> <laughs> our dark tradition for all of y'all. Every week, multiple times a week. Flooding your brain with weird thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, it's we're not going to stop. So you may as well get used to us. You can listen to us on car rides. You can listen to us as you fall asleep. Take that bubble bath, self-care. 
But before we get into stories, we do want to update you. We are going to take a little bit of a hiatus. And by a little bit, I mean like barely a week just so that we can spend some time with our families. So after the live green room this Tuesday, the 21st, we will not be posting new episodes or going live on green room until we return on December 29th with a pre-recorded episode of green room. So just a few days that we will be gone and then we will all ring in the new year together again. Okay. So we are not the only ones who have darkness on their mind around the holidays. Sometimes demons do too. And sometimes you listeners have had dark things happen around the holidays. Like our listener, Abby, who sent us an email called Demon of Christmas Eve. Hi guys, I've written to you once before about me and my friend accidentally summoning a dark entity And I recounted the story to my mom after I sent it in, and she told me that my grandfather had a good personal story that I should share. My grandfather has always been super religious, and when he was younger, about 20-ish, he worked for the city he lived in. His job, along with his coworkers, had them go into the sewers on Christmas Eve. To go into the sewer, you had to remove the heavy metal cover and take a small ladder down into the darkness. Think of any movie and you know exactly the situation I'm attempting to explain. My grandfather and his buddies had been down in this sewer many times and just began to talk to pass the time. My grandfather was put on watch duty to make sure that nobody closed the heavy lid and locked the group in the darkness. That's scary that they need someone to do that because that means that it had happened in the past. Also, why why is this why is this a tradition? It's no it's, it's not a tradition, it was part of the job. Oh, okay. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, he was a very religious man, and so were his friends. They all went to different churches in the city under different branches of Christianity. This sparked my grandfather mentioning that they all had similar beliefs about Mother Mary and Christmas. As he mentioned Mary, a voice began speaking to him above the sewer hole. It said, You honestly believe in that bullshit? That woman was nothing but a lying whore. How how could anyone possibly believe that? Here's the paranormal part of the story. The voice didn't echo in the vast chamber as everyone else has had. My grandfather looked up and couldn't see who was speaking, so he pressed himself to the cold ladder and looked directly up. There was a blurry figure of a man with dark mist all around him obscuring his features. Keep in mind it was dark outside already and the mist around him somehow was much darker. One of my grandpa's friends yelled at him asking who spoke, and so my granddad turned his head to respond And when he looked back, the man, the shadowy, blurry figure, was gone. But there was still a dark mist that was just beginning to subside. My grandfather finished the story by telling me that he knew that as the man spoke, that he was without a shadow of a doubt, a demon. I hope this story wasn't too long-winded and that it makes you guys before the holidays. See you on the other side, Abby. This is horrifying. Yes, because they're in a, like, the setting too. They're oh, in the cellar. The worst setting. They, or not the, not a cellar. What's it sewer. called? A sewer. You're, you're trapped. Like, what are you going to do? Just run down this tube of sewage? Yeah, like he's, this demon is blocking their way out. Which is really scary because obviously what her grandfather said pissed off this demon and it seems powerful and it's now basically in control of their exit. Yeah, I mean what scares me the most about it is that it wasn't even like it pissed off the demon. It was like this demon was waiting because it's Christmas Eve. People are talking about Christmas and Mary and religion and and celebrating Jesus' birth. 
I feel like it's waiting to like taunt people on this day. So it heard them yeah. talk about the fact or heard Abby's grandfather say like, oh, we all believe in Mother Mary and Christmas and like all this stuff. And all of a sudden the demon like pops up, like his ears are ringing. I heard someone say Mary and has this like one liner about that's like evil and mean and scares them. You know what I think? I think this demon has a lot of feelings about Mary and it makes me think that Actually, maybe this demon has a crush on Mary and is really upset that maybe Mary rejected him because he, the language he's using feels like that of a rejected individual. I would love to agree with you on that, but I also just think demons are awful and mean and scary and will choose anything to be evil. I'm just glad that it wasn't there when they looked back because if it still had been, it would make me think that. If it's something lock horrible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's what I keep thinking. Like that they get sealed up and forgotten about or like, I, I mean, I, they wouldn't get forgotten about on the job. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, the demon must have heard someone else say, I mean, it's Christmas Eve. He must have heard someone else say something about religion and was like, gotta go. Yeah. Really looking to pick a fight. Yeah. Clearly. But it's also like, and didn't stay long enough to really like win the fight. It was just like, I need to. Say I need to have the last word, and then ran. This demon clearly has never been a part of a debate team before. He's no chance learning. for rebuttal. Still learning. Still learning. <laughs> Sometimes I think it would be fun to be a demon. <laughs> <laughs> I wish these were video recorded because my face right now. What? Why? I mean, not like the not the, like the possession wise, but like I just feel like they have a lot of power. Okay, it reminds me of like the Invisible Life of Addie Larue. I still haven't read that book. Oh, it's on it's my. So good. It's on my. I have a week off of work for the end of the year, a little holiday observance, and that's my plan is to read that book. It's just like I don't know, just for like a day, kind of like how I want to live in Leia's shoes for one day. I just want to live in the life of a demon mm-hmm. for a day. Yeah, I mean, I would only if I could compare the power to that of someone else who maybe had just like mastered being a ghost, being mm, a spirit. Yeah, like want to know what the difference is between the two yeah like how powerful are you actually yeah like i don't want to be are a demon to do evil or... things i just want to be a demon to like say creepy things and scare people a little bit <laughs> which i guess i could, could do, do that as just a as a regular spirit <laughs> i know but like i want someone to think i'm a demon for a hot second i mean they plenty of people are super spooked by anything paranormal happening so That's it might true. even if you were kind and appeared exactly as you are now people still might be like oh my god a demon channeling demon energy from now on yes out. as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, this is from Kathy. Hello, spooky gals. Insert typical fangirling bit. Seriously, (laughs) though, I love you both. 
My story is not about tradition nor really holiday, but something dark did happen to me around this certain holiday. I had to be about five or six or maybe even seven years old at the moment of this strange encounter. My family had went down to Jalisco, Mexico. In December, Christmas is such a big deal that the whole town throws posadas or Christmas parties for about nine days. Fun. Oh, that sounds great. That does sound fun. These parties end in the wee hours of the morning and involve lots of eating and drinking and dancing, and this was very appealing to my 20-something-year-old parents. We barely ever spent Christmas back home in the States, and we were in a different country where Santa did not stop by. Therefore, my parents use this as an excuse to not buy my sister and I presents. How rude. (laughs) This particular year, my little sister and I were fed up as our parents never got us presents. So we huffed and we puffed about never getting anything, and we told our parents how much we hated going to Mexico during this time of year. And I guess we made them feel bad enough that they actually did decide to go out and buy us a few things. The day of Christmas Eve, they announced that we had to go to sleep early because they had gotten us gifts, and Santa was also going to make a special appearance in Mexico just for us. We were all gathered at our grandmother's house, some cousins our age included, And they shut off the lights and played a movie, hoping that we would all fall asleep. But my cousins kept being a nuisance. My mom finally stated that if we did not fall asleep within so many minutes, Santa would not be able to come. I wanted my presents so bad that when she offered to take us to our house across the street, I took the offer. My sister stayed behind, though, and my mom happily took me across the street to our 400-square-foot home. It is crucial to the story to know the layout of this small house of ours. Once you enter the front door, immediately there are two doors, one on the left and one on the right. From the front door, if you head straight, there is a short hallway about 10 feet or so, and it opens up to a small living room area, and there's a bathroom to the right. There's also a door in the left corner that leads down to the basement and garage area. This door is made out of some type of aluminum metal that is a little flimsy, but sturdy enough. Guess it was cheap, lol. (laughs) The two doors that I first mentioned are our rooms. My parents is the one on the left, and my sister and mine is the one on the right. For whatever strange-ass reason, my mom decided that putting large, triple-sliding windows in our rooms made the tiny house more aesthetic? On to the actual spookiness now. My mom took me to her bedroom as she had the TV and cable and let me lay in her big comfy bed and watch cartoons till I dozed off. She had been laying next to me and suddenly she stepped outside as her Nokia rang. Throwback. (laughs) Nokia like flip phones and stuff. Yep. I was trying to stay asleep but felt uneasy and I woke up to watch whatever cartoon was on and wait for her to return. I became antsy as she was taking forever and I decided to sit up in the bed and yell, Mom! I waited for a response and nothing. She had left the hall light on because she knew how scared I was of the dark. And as I got ready to get out of bed to go investigate why my mom wasn't coming back, something caught my eye. I turned my head and I looked through the first of the three sliding windows, the one closest to the room door. I could see a silhouette through the now sheerly looking drapes as the room was dark, but the hallway was lit up. It began to walk towards the living room, getting shorter as it passed the second window, then even shorter as it passed the third window, until it disappeared at the end of the hallway. What the hell? I thought in my young mind. I began analyzing the situation and thought maybe someone got inside through the basement door. No, no way. The aluminum door made such a ruckus opening that I would have heard it. The front door was in my view the whole time, so no way there could have been anyone without me noticing it. I began yelling while I was in tears. Mama! Mama! Tango miedo! I'm scared. She still had not heard me. 
I was frozen for about 10 minutes trying to decide what to do and an obvious fear. As soon as I talked myself up to run through the front, I saw it again. It began at the furthest window this time, a tall silhouette, then shorter, and then shorter it got. I wiped my eyes and away it had went. This time, I was even more terrified and I thought this thing was going to get me. Fuck it, I said. I had a very colorful vocabulary (laughs) as a child, I know, lol. And I made a run for it. I got to the front door that is literally less than 10 feet away from my mom's bed where I was, and it got stuck. I jiggled the door handle frantically, trying to hit it with my shoulder. Nothing was working. The damn hall light then flickered, and I almost died right there. I began feeling something approaching, but I couldn't see anything the few times that I looked back. I started to scream, crying for my mom as I pounded on the door, and she finally heard me. She opened the door, and I fell into her arms, and I told her everything. We went right back to my grandma's house and I stayed in the night there with all of the other kids. I believe that this was my first paranormal experience. While I was writing this, I had so many chills and shivers. What do you think this was? More creepy experiences have happened to me in the shoebox of a home, including my sister saying the devil, question mark, question mark. I'll send in another email with that story. See you on the other side, my sinister sisters. Kathy from Kentucky. Did Kathy see Hans Trapp? Oh, maybe. Or like an equivalent Santa's, you know, I mean, were they not behaving by not going to sleep? And just because Kathy was alone, this entity targeted. She was an easy target. Yeah. Yeah, maybe she was the only child that night who had uh, been left without an adult in that room for a moment. And that was the Santa's little helper's opportunity. Yeah. This dark, creeping shadow. It's weird that it's like it gets shorter and shorter and shorter because it makes me think it's doing – it almost makes me think it's doing like the the play trick that you do when you're like, look, I'm going down the stairs. Like what if it was just a spirit trying to entertain? Or what if it was an elf? Oh, a little Christmas elf that's like, look, look, I'm riding an escalator and now I'm going (laughs) down the stairs. Isn't this fun? Kathy, you're fine even though your mom's not here and it's dark. It is scary that her mom couldn't hear any of her screaming or calling. That's true. Like that, that's the – we always talk about it when something can change your reality or interfere with reality is when it's so terrifying. Right. And if, from the layout of their house, it sounds like they had windows basically inside of their home to make it look – appear bigger yeah. and that they'd put up drapes to kind of like give themselves privacy in their in their two rooms. So there's a lot of opportunity for sound to move. And this home is not huge. Like she should have been able – or Kathy's mom should have been able to hear her screams. Yeah, you would hope so. That part is really scary. You're right. That does make it feel a lot more sinister. Sinister. Yes. Chilling. Well, happy holidays, everybody. (laughs) We hope you don't uh, get visited by Hans Trapp or some ominous demon on the holidays approaching. But uh, if you do, please email them to us. Our email is twogirls1ghostpodcast at gmail.com. We have social media you can follow us on. Uh, We also go live on the Green Room app under the name Campfire Stories every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific. Yes. 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can support us by buying merch. You can listen. You can tell everybody about our podcast. Or you could donate to Patreon. And that brings us to the time in our podcast where we say thank you to everyone. First of all, thank you to Aiden Manning and the entire team at Upfire Digital for editing our podcast every single week. We really appreciate it. And we will see you on the other side. Very spooky.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 